The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of New York Presbyterian Hospital or Columbia University Irving Medical Center. You're listening to Taking It to Heart with the Columbia Valve Team, a podcast where we discuss the advancements in treatments for patients with structural heart and valve disease. I'm your host, Dr. Isaac George. Welcome to Taking It to Heart. I'm Isaac George, the host. We have our structural heart valve team here today. We have three people on today, not just two. And we have corralled up Dr. Rebecca Hahn, Dr. Torsten Vall, and Dr. Sashil Kagali. And they are in uh, pre-Happy New Year's phase. So the drinking has almost started, but we caught them um, only a few drinks in. And we're gonna do a nice segment on tricuspid valve trials. We have a number of tricuspid valve trials going on here and we're lucky that we have um, a lot of different things that we can offer patients. This ranges from clip therapy to replacement therapy. It had, uh, you know, consisted of all sorts of other kinds of alternative therapies, including valves in the IVC, kind of valves in other sinuses and the pericardium pulling down. And I think, Sashil, you had aptly uh, termed this the graveyard of technologies for tricuspid valves. So maybe if you want to start, Sashil, you can kind of go over what we're able to offer and what we're doing right now. And then if someone else wants to, um, you know, talk about some of the things that has not worked, um, that we have tried and has not worked, I think that would be important. And then we can talk about how we make decisions, clinical decisions in terms of our strategy. Sure. I mean, I can start. I mean, I think, you know, we were sort of saying the term graveyard and we didn't want to really talk about that, but I think it's, it's important. The, 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 the field is relatively new and I think it's, uh, it's really in its early sort of phases. And I think it's important. And some of these devices, you know, like Forma and Triline um, that we participated in, they worked not in every patient, but they, they, we had reduction of TR. We had improvement in six minute walks, we had improvement in quality of life. But you know they helped sort of start the field and drive it forward. And I think one of the, one of the things that you know when you look at transcatheter valve therapy as as a field, for, you know we started a lot with you know obviously with pulmonic and the aortic, right? And, and those therapies said you know what let's take a surgical therapy, let's mimic it and do it with a transcatheter approach. And then and then once we've done that, let's compare it to the surgical sort of therapy. So. For you know these things, it was replacement. It was easy. You're going to compare replacement to replacement. The challenge when it got to, and even in mitral to an extent, you know, you the mitral clip represents an alfieri stitch, annuloplasty. You know, trying to mimic surgical annuloplasty or replacement to mimic surgical replacement, and to try and compare them against sort of the surgical uh, sort of uh, therapy with transcatheter was sort of what we're, we're striving to. We're still behind, but we're further along, but that's what we're striving to do. On the tricuspid side, it's really, there's no real good surgical therapy to compare it to. And, you know, you do an annual plasty at times and you can talk more about it. Replacement surgically doesn't really work well. We don't really have true indication for when to operate. So we're talking, now we're trying to develop a therapy on the tricuspid side where there's not really a surgical uh, predicate sort of therapy. That's, that's the standard that works that we all say everybody gets. So a lot of these therapies are, are sort of outside the box. And I think that's one of the, the key things. And 
you know, right now the major trials that are going on are edge-to-edge -edge repair with either uh, Triclip from Abbott or Pascal from Edwards or transcatheter re replacement devices. And, you know, the, there's Edwards Evoke, uh, Medtronic Intrepid, um, and there are uh, other devices that we've done such as Navigate and the other devices that have been done elsewhere uh, with replacement. Um, and, and there are pros and cons with both. Um, and you know who, whether this whether this works, whether this um, is going to improve quality of life, improve survival. These are the things that we still have a long ways to go. But the randomized trials have started. Um, you know, especially uh, on the clip devices and the clasp devices, the randomized trials are ongoing, and, and we'll get some data. But the, the biggest challenge is, you know, the comparator is is medical therapy. Um, there isn't great medical therapy for TR except diuretics. Um, and what are the endpoints we're looking at? It, and, and I think that's where some of these uh, trials are struggled as well. Is it mortality benefit? Probably not, because these are really heart failure trials. So, you know, how, what are you looking at? Is it TR reduction? And, and some of these sort of TR, you know, you're not going to get rid of TR, but going from torrential to moderate, is that adequate? Um, so those are all sort of important questions that we're trying to answer. I, I think that's great. I think that you know one of our problems with tricuspid is that we really uh, didn't understand the pathophysiology and uh, the breadth of the uh, uh, of the different morphologies um, related to those different etiologies. You know, and uh, secondary, just like uh, we've discussed in prior podcasts. You know, there's a bucket of secondary you know, or functional tricuspid regurgitation. And there are actually a whole lot of little buckets inside the big bucket. You know, there are just so many different uh, morphologic um, and, and anatomic differences between patients who have uh, secondary tricuspid regurgitation from pulmonary arterial hypertension from those that have, believe it or not, uh, you know, uh, uh, post-capillary pulmonary hypertension. So pre-capillary versus post-capillary look kind of different. Um, and so, you know, I think some of it is that the, the sheer number of devices um, really is related to the fact that we, we haven't understood um, and we are beginning now to understand uh, the different therapies that may be more appropriate um, on the tricuspid side. And this is where you, Isaac, you can, you can talk about repair versus replacement, right? It seems as though there are at least some surgical data that tell you what the predictors of recurrence with a repair are, and those are patients that should get a replacement. I mean, in general, I, I think in the operating room, we wanna leave with, uh, with trace TR, at least mild TR, it's very dynamic, obviously, but we have to take into account the health of the RV. I think um, in a lot of ways, we fear the RV so much more than the LV. We can support the LV many ways, it's really hard to support the RV. The muscle mass is maybe one third of the LV. And so it just doesn't respond to inotropes um, or vasodilators, uh, pulmonary vasodilators the same, the same way. So we have a lot less room and the Starling curve is such that um, you have a lot less time. Um, in terms of repairing versus replacement, you know, replacement has just been, it, it would be a great therapy if the valves lasted longer, but the valves have just been so poor in terms of its durability. So I'm always reluctant if someone's gonna live more than 10 years even to put in these valves because they fail. And sometimes they fail at five years, which is just like such a horrible outcome to go through a big surgery and then have a valve that fails at five years. 
Um, so I try to repair, if you know, repair whatever you can, whether it's doing um, an annuloplasty plus some other leaflet work, you know, if it's uh, trying to, you know, making sure that whatever pathology is addressed is what what you want to do. Um, there are some people that will continue to recur, and you know, the presence of persistent inotropes after a repair is usually a bad sign that the RV is not going to recover. And we've done that a couple of times where we've had to keep people on inotropes for extended periods of time. And it's an intense amount of work to maintain them. Um, so I think repairing certainly is better. And I think the re replacement therapies are really for those end stage people that we think are not going to live as, as long, frankly. And, you know, also because of the fact that the, the health of the RV or the, uh, the amount of TR is not going to be helped by something like an edge to edge. And I think you, you talk about addressing the pathology and, and both you and Becky keep mentioning the RV. And I think that's sort of one of the key fundamental issues on with tricuspid valve that we, we don't have a great understanding. I mean, not only it, we always talk about how is the RV going to handle it. And I think if, to try and get that data, we have to be able to assess RV function. I don't know, Becky, if you want to comment on this, we struggle, you know, you know, we say, oh, the RV looks moderately down, but there's torrential TR. How is that RV going to handle a repair where you get it to moderate versus how is it going to handle it if you replace it and get rid of the TR? We, we, we don't know. We, assessing RV help, and it's, our, it's the biggest concern that you both have mentioned, and it's the thing that we struggle to assess. I'm with you 100%. I mean, we have all these echocardiographic measures, primarily of longitudinal function, whereas we know that it's not just longitudinal function, particularly once you have some pulmonary hypertension, but we now have to use, you know, uh, the other fibers, not just the longitudinal fibers, but all the fibers of the RV uh, to maintain cardiac output. And how we measure that is still really a mystery. And it's not just a mystery of how to measure, it's what measure predicts recoverability or plasticity of the RV. And we just don't know. And this is where, you know, we've relied heavily on echo, but I really think that multimodality imaging and, and, and looking for fibrosis uh, of the RV, which typically has only been along the edges near the septal, near the connection to the LV, but, but if it's extensive, I mean, those patients may just be end stage. And, and, and you're right, we, we, we've seen patients that have had terrible looking longitudinal function. We go ahead and do an intervention and it looks just fine. The patients are great. Um, then we have others that because they're so afterload reduced with torrential tricuspid regurgitation, they look pretty good. Um, and then you put in a valve and you know they're on inotropes. I mean, it's just, they look terrible. So um, you know, guessing not only just recoverability of RV, but the response to increased afterload. So that RVPA coupling and uncoupling um, is really um, a task that we have not, uh, you know, we've not, we've not undertaken yet. We just don't know. Also to stay with the imaging for a second, I mean, Isaac just pointed out how surgically repair is, is the thing uh, to strive for. But when we look at the percutaneous repair solutions, we not infrequently struggle with the imaging. Uh, and that's true for, for certain areas. When we try to do a ring repair, we may not be able to visualize the entire annulus easily to, to place our devices. And, and leaflet uh, visualization during grasping techniques is not always that easy either. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point, Costa, because 
I know we wanted to also discuss, you know, how you make a decision between a, a leaflet device, an annular device, and a replacement device. And I mean, we've had the least amount of imaging issues with the replacement devices. Do you think that's fair, Sushil? Um, yeah, no, I agree. Replacement uh, has the least imaging burden, I think. So, so speaking of graveyard, let's talk about Cardioband and the annular devices, right? So, um, you know, there was such so much promise. You know, it was it was the savior for the tricuspid valve because it was the one thing that was similar to what we do in surgery. You know, you do an annuloplasty and you're going to fix everything, and it didn't really work out. And that was for a lot of different reasons. One was imaging, no question. One was the device, maybe. Um, we'll see if it, it resurrects, resurrects itself in some fashion um, or form. But what about, what about other annuloplasty technologies? Are, if it's easy to put in, how are you going to decide what you want to do for a patient? Let's say you have uh, a portfolio, and it consists of an annuloplasty device. It consists of an edge-to-edge. -edge, it consists of a replacement um, how are you going to decide how you're going to treat patients based on, again, functional secondary TR? I mean, I think not, atri not atriogenic, not atriogenic. Right. Well, I mean, I think the issues that, you, that Isaac, though, are, uh, you know, why do we like angular devices? One, it does mimic surgical therapy, but two, it, it doesn't take away other options if it doesn't work. And, you know, we've always talked about sort of a toolbox approach and maybe one device or maybe one therapy you need to, you know, when you go to surgery, you put a ring and you might, uh, you know, do some leaflet therapy, you might put cords, you might do other things. And here we're trying to do one, th just we have to choose a single therapy. Um, and that might not be the right approach. An annual therapy doesn't take away other options. Now, the challenge is the annulus on the tricuspid side compared to the mitral is a lot more challenging. It, it's not as fibrous a structure. The risk of pullout is probably a lot more. The imaging is, is a real challenge. Um, and the, the, how far around you have to get is, is something that, you know, when you do surgically, you obviously spare it at the, at the, at the AV node. Um, but we have to be able to get a, a, as far along as to actually cinch the annulants. And the reality is that those devices are probably going to work for, for uh, atrial, atriogenic TR, right? Because they're going to help sort of shrink, uh, same as on the mitral. But when you have tethered septal leaflets, uh, you know, some patients that are post uh, uh, cabbage that have uh, infarcts and really tethered back leaflets, the angular device is just not going to work. Um, and so even if you could image, even if it was stable, it won't work. But I think it, it really has to be just angular dilatation and functional TR. And I think that that's part, part of the challenge. And, and there will be the angular devices that will help sort out, I think. I, I think in the future that will, you know, but anchoring is tough, but that maybe they will have it. But even if they do have it, is it going to work? And, and how do we choose which patient is? I mean, you know, Isaac, you wanted, us, question. you wanted us to ignore atriogenic, you know, functional tricuspid regurgitation, but of the functional tricuspid regurgis, it's the second most common. So, I mean, it, you know, it, 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 it could be up to almost 20% of the patients presenting to us with functional tricuspid regurgitation, so you can't ignore it. And it's a fairly large population. And, um, you know, in part, it's, it's just, you know, age-related increase in atrial fibrillation. Um, and the fact that, you know, we had early trials saying that you didn't have to cardiovert people, you could just treat, you know, for, for rhythm, con for control, rate control, which is, is terrible. 
Um, but but you know you know whether we use an annular or a leaflet or a replacement device really depends on the morphology. I mean, it's just like in secondary mitral regurgitation. Um, the consensus document is really, really clear. You must understand morphology first before you can decide on therapy. Uh, so if it's pure annular dilatation, well, I'm gonna wanna use an annuloplasty device. If it's marked tethering with uh, dilatation of the, of the RV and, and tethering of the leaflets, to the point where you know you have a coaptation gap of, of one centimeter. Well, I got to put a replacement in that. So uh, some of it is that it's you know where in the spectrum of morphologies we see the patient, and also where in the timeline of their disease process we see the patient. So Torsten, you know you see a lot of TR patients as well. Um, tell tell us why conceptually, or do you have an issue? enrolling a patient. You see a patient with severe TR, they have right heart failure, they failed medical therapy, and now you're looking at our devices and you're looking at our trials and they're all com compared to medical therapy. And you go and you tell your patient, look, we wanna treat you and we're gonna put you in this trial and you're gonna get medical therapy or you're gonna get the device. How do you frame that? And are you okay with that? Because well, I've I always not been okay with that, at least for the tricuspid, because it's just very hard to tell people they're going to get more of the same. Well, the, the, the reality is that, that we, don't, we don't really have any alternative. So it's not, I mean, you, you spoke about that at the very beginning, that most of the um, surgeries are performed in simultaneously at the time of other typically left-sided valvular um, surgeries. And as we approach more of these patients percutaneously for the left-sided valvular heart disease, over time, we are encountering more patients with residual TR that may have been moderate at the time, but then gets worse um, as the patients progress. So I think um, this patient population is growing and, and it's one area where we honestly, it's on us to build an evidence base. It, it's one thing you can always say, oh yeah, we put in a device or we give you um, therapy X, but, but that's not how we practice medicine uh, nowadays. And, and I think um, for, for, for the patients, the, the benefit still is that, that um, even within the clinical trials, we typically supervise the medical therapy with heart failure specialists. So I think they get very advanced medical therapy that they otherwise may not be getting. Uh, and, and on the device therapy, there are still risks, as you just all discussed. Many of these therapies may not always have been uh, successful. So I think there's true equipoise here for any of these um, uh, devices. And it it's, it's wouldn't even be fair maybe to offer everybody just the device because we don't know how, how well that works currently either. So uh, I have no problem with, with offering um, the studies to the patient. That's a good point. There's risk involved with all of these. You know, there's no question that there is no zero risk procedure. Um, yeah, and I guess going back to what this, we were going to discuss this podcast. You know, what therapies do we have now in clinical trials, and what do we, how do we choose? Right now, it's really like I said, you know, leaflet grasping versus replacement. Um, and you know, if we just sort of list the pros and cons, leaflet grasping. Um, probably has a little bit more data behind it. Um, there have been two early feasibility studies with both Triluminate and, and Pascal showing benefit, but also showing that, that there's a group of patients that don't benefit. 
um, and where you know there you don't get a good reduction. And and I think there's a lot more there's a lot of anatomic restrictions in leaflet grasping, which is about leaflet visibility, uh, leaflet visibility, the gaps between leaflets. Is it possible to 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 grasp? But there's and there's also stuff about you know tissue health that we just don't know how to assess because there there. There is a fair number, but there are, um, and then it, it falls off and you get an SLDA where it comes off one leaflet, where even though you had good capture, and I think that's something that we just don't understand. But, you know, uh, the goal is to use, you know, leaflet grasping, I think, is the lowest risk intervention, um, uh, but I think has a lot of anatomic restrictions. But in patients with poor RVs, you don't get rid of the TR, and so theoretically the RV should handle it better. But there are a lot of patients where the anatomy is just not good and we, we go towards replacement. And the replacements struggle with annular size because the devices, uh, many annuli are too large for the current devices. And there's also conduction issues, but the main issue, they have less imaging issues during the procedure, but the other big issue is we anti, have to anticoagulate these patients after. Now, most of them are in AFib, but it's still uh, an issue that you have to anticoagulate. And the question of leaflet durability that you saw on the surgical side we may see on the transcatheter side. And, and I think that's important consideration. And yes, you could do a valve and valve, but how often or what can you really do and what is the durability gonna be is an important unanswered question. But you know, I think right now we're choosing based on RV health, imaging quality and the ability to image the leaflets, leaflet gaps to help sort of push us for one direction or another. All and right, I think other, we're gonna, oh, go. Mm -hmm. One other huge difference obviously is efficacy. Um, right, because the tricuspid valve replacement devices really take away all regurgitation. Um, right. So the efficacy uh, without a sacrifice in valve area, because you have a set valve area with the, uh, the you know, with these transcatheter valves, um, uh, you know, is really something to, to consider. But as Sushil says, you know, if the RV function is not good enough to handle the increase afterward, then you may want to think twice. There's no question that in the procedure room, the replacement therapy tends to make you feel the best, the quickest, right? Yeah. Because you really get rid of all the TR. Um, you you can see, you can visualize the device very easily. You can see where you're placing it and, and placement is becoming more predictable. The problem is, as you just pointed out, there are a lot of sort of long-term issues potentially coming out of that. And, um, you know, we'll just need to collect more information to really make better recommendations. You know, and the problem is, if you do again, one therapy, guys, you exclude the other, right? If you if you say, listen, let's try the clip, then you know, it, yes, you can right. sort of, you know, there have been case reports of doing a replacement after a failed clip, and with an with the detachment, but that's not a, a good long term strategy. And I think the pathways you choose are one or the other, and that's what we have to really sort of decide at that moment. But again, remember, long term for these patients with severe torrential TR. Yeah. Yeah. It's somewhere between two to five years. Yeah, so, correct. You know, it's correct. rare that these patients are living that long. Anyway, I, th I think we're going to wrap up unless anyone has anything, anything else significant to say. Sashil is wearing a Steelers um, sweatshirt, and uh, it's a big day on Sunday when they play the Browns. Um, and, it's not. Uh, they gave up on the game. They're resting their starters. They did. I know yes. they did. Yeah, but it's a big so game for the Browns. <laughs> so I will um, not be watching that game. Or I will watch, but it will be painful. <laughs> Well, I hope everyone has a happy new year. This is our last podcast before the new year. We will see you in 2021, which will be a much better year. Fingers crossed. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.